0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right to the phones.
1: And joining us, and Nate, I developed too many bad habits last year. I can't keep saying, I keep saying good things about you.
2: Gary, I, I appreciate it, buddy. It, uh, it Yeah, it, it means a lot to me. <laughs> now, you've
1: got some special guests with you because we're going to talk about an event you've got coming up shortly. Why don't you introduce them?
2: Absolutely. You know, I, I think everybody's been following along. They know that winter uh, obviously brings on ice fishing, and there is 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 no aspect of the sport of ice fishing that we don't take very serious and take to the next level between guiding ice fishing schools you know tv video content uh and then they kind of all centralize around the ice fiction tournament series next weekend is the biggest event that we host every year probably the most special fun kind of ties everything together and that event is the a and a and truck accessories ice addiction event at grand Lake, and we have got the owners Jared and greg on the phone uh just kind of talk to everybody they're hardcore sportsmen they value the outdoors and the people that follow the outdoors uh and we just wanted to have them on the show and talk about next weekend's event and, and talk about what they do uh for business and how they cater to so many outdoorsmen well good morning guys
1: good morning. how are you guys doing we're doing great you know but as you get into what's going on in the event and your own activity in the outdoors, <clears throat> I'll put my two cents worth in. You guys, A&A Toppers has been in my involved in my show for going on two decades. I mean, it's been a while. I think you're my longest-running continual partner on the show. And you guys' commitment to the outdoor community, not only sponsoring and helping outdoor enthusiasts and and working with the outdoor public and helping this kind of information like Nate and I put out, get out there by helping a partner on it, but by your own activities, but then supporting affinity groups like Ducks Unlimited and Pheasants Forever. So really appreciate you guys and the partnership we've had. So now I'll let you talk to Nate about the event.
2: Absolutely, Terry. And I just got to second that. Again, you know, you walk into either one of their shops, you know, whether it's Colfax or south broadway and you know i walk in there and it's people that you and i see when we're on the water when we're out in the woods hunting um again they they just draw that outdoorsman i think all of us agree if you're going to go to a place of retail a place of business it is so nice to be with like-minded people you know your support conservation and everything that goes with it so we're excited about that i tell you just swing it back to the event next weekend uh grand lake these guys are going to be up there it it is by far our our biggest event and the nicest Thing about it, I think so much is the venue that leads to such an awesome event. You know, Grand Lake is located right on the water. We're going to host the event right there in town. So, I mean, people will stay in town and just walk with their ice stuff straight from their hotel to on the ice. Restaurants will give food, and you can walk right onto the ice. So, the the venue is unbelievable. It's a fun event. Um, and these guys came to us and said, "Hey, let's uh, let's experience ice addiction," and, and that's where we're at. These guys are also responsible. For the probably main reason why everybody comes, they're sponsoring that $7,500 first place prize for a single fish. You don't have to catch a tag fish. You don't have to catch a limit. One fish, $7,500, courtesy of these guys.
1: So, Darren Darren, and, and Greg, give us your feedback on the ice addiction and what you think about the tournament.
3: Oh, we can't wait to get up there, Terry. You know, we've been partnered up together for a long time and I'm gonna be out there Greg actually has an event that he needs to go to, but I will be there. I'll be greeting everybody, telling everybody about what we do here at A Toppers. And, you know, we're the leading topper here in the state of Colorado, but we do a lot of other accessories, obviously racks for the different cars, floor liners for all those dirty wave boots or your hunting boots to get dirty. So there's more than toppers that we do here at A&A Toppers. So I'll be out there to uh, say hi to everybody.
1: Are you going to have any uh, demos or anything for people to look at out there?
3: Yeah, we're going to have our code drop out there. We're going to have all the equipment in it. It's going I, awesome. I
2: think... Also, a lot of people hear A Comper and they think compers, but, you know, our flagship, we got a 2022 F-350, and these guys did everything to the tight line and ice addiction truck. So, I mean, everything from the airbags on the suspension, lynches, bumpers, I mean, floor mats, we got our seat covers, lights, light bars, fog lights. Every accessory put on that flagship ice addiction truck uh, is catered by ANA Topper. So whether you're looking for a tonneau cover, a topper, or all of your accessories, and I mean all of them, um, I mean racks for skiing, everything else, uh, these guys are the place. And I can promise you, Terry, I know we say it all the time, but their service is second to none. If anybody's going to touch my truck, Everybody knows. I don't do maintenance. I abuse everything. I run and gun. I'm in an event every weekend. I'm on the ice and in the field every day through the course of the week. Um, my stuff has to hold up, uh, and the service when they do it, they do it right, and it is permanent. And, and that's probably the biggest thing that I have to say about them is you take it to them, and you are in good hands. Yeah, uh, we're, uh, looking, uh, we're
3: looking. forward to being up there, guys. It's uh, it's going to be a fun deal, and happy to have to give back, and hopefully. Somebody gets one big one that's going to win that seventy five hundred dollars, courtesy of A and A Toppers.
1: Yeah, are you? You're not. Are you itching to even try it? I know you're probably not eligible because you're a sponsor. You got a little itch to get out there and try it, Darren.
3: I do. I may have to have see if Nate's got a special special pattern or a special bait or
2: something, maybe. <laughs> okay, it, it's funny. Yeah, no, I think the cool thing about Grand Lake too is. It, the the venue is you have rainbows, you have browns, you have lake trout. But when looking at those three, lake trout really is kind of the defining fish. Um, and it's kind of neat to see because at that lake is one of the only venues where we see most people focus on a certain species. At all our other venues, you have five or six species, so everybody's targeting something different. They're looking for that one brown or that one you know pike or that one lake or whatever the case may be. Here, majority of the anglers are going to target lake trout, so it's really a head-to-head competition for that one fish which is neat to see. All
1: right guys, I know you're at an event and you probably have to get back to it but um, and it's hard for this many people to talk at the same time but we really appreciate everything you've done for this show, for Nate's involvement. You've worked with just about everybody that people here on this show and you, you just I could tell story after story about the quality of the workmanship and People that have come up and told me how well you treated them, and I just want to say thank you, guys, for being such a part of the outdoors.
3: We appreciate it, Terry. Yeah, yeah we do. Thanks a ton, Terry. We'll keep it going, buddy. All right, you guys, get
1: back to what you got to do, and we'll see if Nate knows anything about fishing.
3: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Bet. So, Mister Zelinsky. I'm here, so sir. You you want to talk about?
2: Light tackle in deep water. So, you know, in anticipation for this event coming up, you know, partner with A&A Toppers, it's at Grand Lake. Last year we had two large fish. We had two fish in the five pound range, you know, like 5.8, you know, don't, don't quote me on that, that won the event. Another fish is just slightly smaller than that. And we had some big fish. But historically, looking at the last five years of ice addiction at Grand Lake, It usually takes a two to three pound fish to take first place. So whether you're talking about a two pound to a five pound fish, a lot of these anglers will fish a smaller presentation. Reason for it, the primary food source where our tournament is at on Grand Lake is micey shrimp. So, you know, it's not necessarily an area that has a shallow water hook. That would be conducive to feeding on rainbows or suckers where you might get a 20 pound lake. Not to say you're not going to get a 20 pound lake trout, but more than likely it's going to be one of those, you know, does tween fish, that, you know, two to five pound fish. Those fish are targeting micey shrimp. Um, so a lot of anglers that have picked up on that concept of the fish liking a smaller presentation, we see a lot of anglers fishing that smaller stuff. When you go out to 60, 70, 80, 100 feet of water and you've got a micro, you know, 164 ounce jig, I see a lot of anglers with heavier line that literally when their coils and their like monofilament hit the thermocline, it'll stop their jig. Like they have so much line on coil in their line. Their jig won't even sink anymore. Um, a lot of people will struggle. They're trying to use their vexlar to find their jig on bottom. And some of the course will be on a steep slope to where you get that little wash or that little void on bottom. Cause your transducer is hitting shallow and deep and you get a little void. No matter how you look at it, Deeper water fishing with a small presentation can be tricky, so we wanted to touch base with that. I wanted to talk about a couple of concepts. Number one, if you're going to dead stick, whether you're using a bobber or a spring bobber, we always use the phrase depth finder, Terry. Now, when I talk to you and say depth finder, you and I are on the same page of knowing it is a small piece of lead with a clip on it, and it's how you set your depth. When you adapt to the average person, say, hey, you know, use a depth finder, they're thinking about a, a Hummingbird or a vexlar, They're thinking of some sort of electronic device that shows you depth. But a depth finder is a weight that you attach to your line, drop it down to be for certain you know what your depth is. So, number one, if you're going to dead stick, we encourage, use a depth finder, straighten out your line, know exactly where six inches off bottom is, mark your line, so that way if from that point on, you know exactly where you're at. And then other things, you know, using a smaller jig, you can get away with some of that lighter line. Using a four to six pound test, have your drag set appropriately, have a a lighter rod to absorb that to where you're not getting, you know, line break or line cut. And as I lower my jigs, I stretch my line out, so just like a a fly fisherman could do with like tippet, I literally just run my line through my fingers, just hold the rod, you know, between your legs or set it down, and as I sink my line, I'm running it through my fingers, pulling it, just stretching it slightly to eliminate all coils or anything that the cold air is doing to that, and that way that super straight line is going to allow that jig to fall straight. I'm not going to get coil. I'm not going to get hung up in the thermal climbs. It's going to allow me to have better bait position. I'm going to feel my bites better and overall be more successful. So, you know, encouraging depth finders, which is a weight system to get in the right depth, straightening that line out. Those are the type of things that at the end of the day are going to help you catch by far more fish and bigger fish. Now, a couple things
1: I want to piggyback on there. You and I have had a discussion about what line to use ice fishing over the years. And we use different lines in different situations. And everybody I have on the show has a favorite. And each type of line, each type of line has its own qualities. Now, you like to use like an XL, like an abrasion-free Uh, mono but you've been switching more to fluorocarbon how would you approach what line
2: would be your favorite for this application for for this application Terry as much as it kills me I am going to use the fluorocarbon everybody knows I'm a mono guy I love it I love XL I love Trilene XT I use mono in so many situations when others don't Uh, my issue with my mono in this situation is the stretch I am a big fan of having stretch because I think at the end of the day it helps me land more fish because I don't get the hooks pulled out. But once I start getting that 60, 70, 80 feet of water, I want to eliminate a little bit of that stretch. I'm going to still avoid the super lines, and the braids, the fusion, just because in the cold they hold moisture and they just kind of become a pain when fishing outside like the tournament will be. Uh, but the fluorocarbon still performs flawlessly in the cold conditions, but it's going to eliminate that stretch. So I can use a, a four or six pound fluorocarbon to stay really straight just being the stiffer nature that that line is and and then i'm going to get that minimal stretch when setting the hook so at a grand lake event, i'm almost always going to go with 100% fluorocarbon uh personally speaking i run berkeley Trilene 100% fluorocarbon and i'm going to run four or six pound clear um, and that's going to be my ideal line choice for those smaller jigs at that venue
1: now do you add any additional weight sometimes you talked about using a 164 ounce jig In a tournament situation, it could take a long time to get that down 80 feet and you lose fishing time. So do you put some weight above it? Do you add like I've done in situations like that where I've actually tied a spoon on up above? and then put a dropper below it with the small jig. Sometimes I even take the hooks off the spoon. Anything like that to help get that presentation up and down it, quicker?
2: It definitely can as long as you still lower it slow. Some people will add weight above, whether it's a split shot, whether it's a spoon dropper, and they'll go bombs away, and sometimes that lighter jig will obviously come above the heavier one, and you can get tangled in that deep of water. So my two presentations, if I'm running straight a jig, a, a small 64th or 60-ounce jig, if I'm going to be actively working that bait, I will not add extra weight. I'll just take my time, get it down there, and, and I'm just fishing it that way. If I'm going to use my slip bobber, which that's probably one of my go-to techniques up there, I'll run like a small tungsten jig, and I'll just tip it with a small piece of bait. Um, and on my slip bobber rig, I will run a split shot right above it. So on my slip bobber rig, I have obviously my bobber stop then I have an ice buster bobber, then I go to a split shot, and then I usually, in that deep of water, run about 12 to 14 inches of line between my split shot and my tungsten jig. I still lower it slow so they stay in line. As I drop it, I still want the tungsten on bottom, the split shot above it, um, that way I know there's no tangles. So I'll let it down fairly slow, they'll fall perfectly in line, um, and that's my go-to technique. So uh, if I'm using the slip bobber, which I don't jig a little bit, just jig and let it sit, jig and let it sit, uh, my slip a rig is a split shot in that small tungsten jig. If I'm going to be really actively working it, I, I don't have any lead above it just to make sure I don't get any tangle on the fall um, and run it that way.
1: Another way I'll approach, I, you know, normally because the tournaments you're only fishing one hole, right? Yep. Um, correct. A lot of times if I was fishing two holes, I would have a much bigger active presentation in the hole next to it. But another way I'll approach this, if I'm fishing deep with a subtle presentation, is take a bass fishing technique and adapt it to the ice. I'll do a drop shot and um, that keeps the weight below the hook and prevents that curl up tangling. You talked about allows you to lower it at whatever, whatever speed you want. You can even go a little heavier weight there, but you still can move the bait once that drop shot is on bottom. The problem with a lake like Grand Lake was it
2: can be snaggy. You could snag a lot of those uh, drop shot weights. You Chris I'm glad you said that because that's a technique that I don't think is used near enough to the ice. I'm actually at a large corporate event uh, today at Bear Creek. Uh, I got you know about 150 anglers on the ice, and I have a handful of rods set up with drop shots for new ice anglers, anglers that might have a hard time understanding the concept of 8, 10, 12 inches off bottom. So in these regards, we're actually running a drop shot, so we're forcing that bait. Set the bait, set the weight on bottom. We know we have our hook or jig Set 10 inches off bottom and it's a really easy go-to technique and by having a somewhat taunter line um you really feel those bites they jump out at you so i don't think a drop shot is a technique that gets used enough through the ice and i'm a big fan of it and i think that's a Concept for the Grand Lake event because then you know you're on bottom as your bait falls you get down there quickly. Um, There's no snags on the hook which is nice because a lot of times when you run certain droppers when you're landing a fish at the hole you'll have multiple devices hitting you know uh, an upper spoon it hits the edge of the ice Um, you know even it just makes a lot of movement it can kind of freak you out a little bit. That's where that drop shot is great for landing fish. Um, Everything about it is awesome and I don't think it's used near enough on the ice and I'm glad you said something about it. We are out of time, my friend. People want to register for the tournament. Where do they do it? Absolutely. Go to tightlineoutdoors.com. We'll have a lot of stuff on our Facebook page this week, Tightline Outdoors. Uh, but, again, this is a huge event. We'd love to have everybody come check it out. Uh, again, it's a fun venue. There's lots of great places to stay, great food. Uh, but, again, it's all at Grand Lake. Registration closes Thursday night. We keep encouraging people, though, the to... Register, the sooner you get on the ice. So uh, don't hesitate. We just pull up the weather right now. There's a little storm coming through Sunday afternoon. uh, But right now, Saturday, the cold front kind of clears out. Wednesday after that storm, uh, it looks like a high of 30 degrees, low of 15. The weather looks awesome. It's the place to be. Make sure you register by Thursday at 8. Again, go to Tightland Outdoors. Only $50 to enter, over 25000 total in prizes. Uh, Get signed up. It's going to be a blast. All right, my friend, we will talk to you next week. We'll talk to you soon.
1: We're going to take a timeout and we come back. The folks from Jacks are going to join us, and we're going to talk about dressing right. You know, the weather gets a little warmer. People don't wear the right winter clothes for their activities, and you can get in trouble. We'll help you with that. Ontario Wickstrom Outdoors on one zero four three. The fan. Bob Steger, get us toe tapping You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And speaking of Jax, joining us from the Lafayette store is uh, Chris Castillo. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, you and I talked during the week, and people in Colorado or around the North America, people used to kind of hunker down in the winter, and they wait and they wouldn't do a lot uh, they wouldn't go out camping and hiking and fishing but now that's really changed because of the clothing we have because of the equipment we have because of the ways to stay warm people are going out year round they don't you know they don't want to be inside especially in a state like Colorado they want to go camping hiking wildlife watching cross country skiing snowshoeing the problem that occurs that i see is when we start getting a little warmer down here like we've been, they don't pay enough attention to what they're wearing, whether it's down here or as they head up into the hills, because you can really get in trouble in a hurry if you're not dressed properly, can't you? At the very least, you'd be uncomfortable.
4: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's all about what we wear to keep us warm. Uh, One of the colleagues that I work with, and actually I think he's a regular guest on your show, um, Mike Kay in our fishing department, he's got a saying that says there's no such thing as bad weather, just poor clothing choices. So I can absolutely agree with you on that, Terry. Well,
1: there's no doubt about it. And it comes down to really, there's some basic concepts, and then you tweak those concepts depending on what you're doing. But it really comes down to being able to layer, get the moisture Mm -hmm. away, and then adjust the level of clothing you're
4: wearing, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Um a good thing about layering is it's truly that. You know, you can um, you can adjust accordingly. Um obviously if you're gonna hike, you know, you're you 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 are probably gonna be um, starting off a little, you know, there's a saying called gold, uh, be bold and go cold. You know, you start with a little less because if you start with all your layers on while you're hiking, you're going to end up be taking those off right away. But the best part about having a layering system is you can adjust for the changing weather conditions as the day progresses or um, the night progresses or, or what have you. Let's go through some
1: basic layering, and maybe you can recommend some products. Now, the first thing is a base
4: layer, right, the one that's against your skin. Absolutely. And that's critical. Um, and when you think of base layer, you know, a lot of people think of long underwear. They go, oh, I got that already. But, you know, it's not like your grandpa's old long johns that, you know, we used to wear when we were kids. Um, you want something that's uh, going to be either made out of Murano wool or some kind of uh, poly poly blend, um, for a number of reasons. Um, cotton's, you know, it's going to get saturated with sweat really fast and it really doesn't insulate very well. Um, Marano wool is uh, antimicrobial. So, um, it, you know, being right up next to your skin and you know, you're going to, you're going to have sweat on it and everything. So it's going to prevent, um, smells from building up and everything like that. But the, the beauty of wool is it insulates, even when it's saturated with sweat or or water. Um, The polyester blends too, a little bit lower cost, but um, still provide excellent insulation. Um, And a lot of them have um, uh, fibers that are woven into them to give them some antimicrobial properties as well. So um, absolutely critical to have a base layer on, especially, you know, all year round, but especially, um, especially here in uh, Colorado in the wintertime. That's your first layer of defense is a a good base layer. Well, you know,
1: and that base layer means don't wear, and I told you a story. We won't take time to retell it again, but don't wear your cotton briefs or cotton T-shirt under your base layer. You defeat the whole purpose.
4: Exactly. It's, it's a base layer for a reason. It's right up next to your body in all regards. <laughs>
1: and, if, and if you want to wear some kind of briefs, they make, we well, could wear silk, but they make some uh, fibers, they make some briefs out of, uh, uh synthetics that you can wear and they'll they've really let the moisture pass through. Now let's say the next thing. I've got my base layer. I have figured it out. I've either got wool or poly polypropylene or poly, you know, some kind of a blend. Now I want to get to the next layer. So the, the layer that's really going to be kind of the cement that holds everything together. And that's what do you I like to wear fleece, a fleece sweatshirt and fleece pants. What do you wear for that
4: mid layer? Yeah, mid-layer, also known as insulation layer, that is like the meat and potatoes of your layering system. Um, I prefer a fleece, too. You know, I've been uh, recently, the past couple of years, been wearing grid fleece uh, mid-layers. Um, I feel like they provide an excellent amount of warmth for the weight involved. Um, but, you know, your mid-layer could even be a, a down jacket, you know, a synthetic or um, or actual down puffy jacket. Um Basically, um, it's going to be providing the most insulation part. So the, the the base layer is going to be keeping everything off of your skin. And then the mid-layer insulation layer is going to be keeping and working actively to keep that heat on. Um, they also make, um you know, a lot of people think when they are layering, they forget about the legs. They got the base layer on and then they put their... Um, outer layer on right after that, but you, you got to remember that and a good pair of fleece pants um, or even down pants, something like that will, will offer a great amount of warmth um, and you'll be thanking yourself when you're up in the mountains in the winter time that you have that on there. Um, some of the products uh, today, I'll offer kind of a two-in-one uh, mid-insulation layer and a exterior layer as well and I can think of just off the top of my head the old Columbia jackets um, or North Face jackets that uh, you can actually zip out that mid layer and then use that separately if you want. I kind of prefer to use like more of a fleece just because it's lighter and a little bit more versatile. Um, but we offer a great selection of um, uh, grid fleece style uh, hoodies and mid layers here at Jacks by Mountain Hardware. Rab's got a really nice one out this year. Uh, of course, Patagonia's got a good one and Marmot has a few uh, in stock as I was walking the store this morning. Now, what about the outer
1: shell? You talked about you can combine it. Um, I have have actually several outer shells, depending on what I'm doing. I have an outer shell that's very uninsulated I wear in the summer if I'm going to be in rainy or windy weather or have it with me at least. And then I have some fairly heavy outer layers. They're not insulated, but they're heavy storm-proof that I wear because the important thing is, again, breathability
4: and, and the ability to stay warm, keep the wind off, right? Absolutely, as uh you know you know you're out in the wind, it could be thirty degrees, and with the twenty mile an hour wind going, that's going to feel like you know zero degrees real quick um so the outer layer is probably one of the most important layers. I mean, they really all are, but um as you know, it could be blowing snow, it could be raining, it could be snowing, uh, massive wind coming through, and that outer layer is certainly going to offer a break in that and keep that insulation uh doing its job without getting saturated with uh cold. Uh, weather or um or moisture itself. Um and it's it's important to be waterproof and windproof while maintaining breathability properties, as you said, Terry, um you know before. I mean they have the Gore-Tex fabric out there that's uh, that's breathable. Um Pertex is another fabric that's uh, out there that's a lot lighter than Gore-Tex, uh waterproof and, and highly breathable. And uh they You know, before they had these fabrics out, they they made um you know windproof and waterproof layers with vents, which um they still do. A lot of the uh, outer layers are going to have vents, which are great, especially during uh, active activities like ice climbing or um, uh, hiking. Uh, You can you know open up the vents and let some of your uh, warmth out, um, so you don't end up building up too much sweat because you know you want to stay warm when you're out there. But if you start sweating um, when you're out there that could cause a whole number of different problems and you don't really necessarily want to be encountering those kind of problems. So it's got to be breathable and waterproof at the same time. Um, What we have in stock now for a breathable um, outer layers, Marmot, Mountain Hardware, Rad, Cool's got a couple good ones in stock now. Of course, uh, Patagonia as well. Um, Come into Jackson, I can show you all of them. Okay, we're going to run out of time here, but real quick,
1: if I'm going hiking or snowshoeing, should I be wearing different layers than if I'm going to be sitting on the ice fishing, or can I use buy a set
4: that I can adjust with? You know, you're going to definitely need different ones. Um, you know, you're hiking, um, you're going to be sweating, you're going to be moving, you're ice fitting, you're sitting down. So you, you you will need different ones. But the best part about this tech gear is you can buy one kit. Um, and kind of modify it as needed per the activity that you're doing. Um, A lot of times, I'll even boost my mid-layer with kind of a secondary mid-layer. Like, say, if I was ice ice fishing, I'd probably wear my grid fleece hoodie, but I'd also wear a nice down jacket on top of that and then a waterproof layer on top of all of that. Um, So, you know, it's like, uh, like your sleep system when you're camping. Um, you can adjust it per the temperature, the layering. Think of the layering as the same type of same type of deal. You can adjust for the activity that you're you're going to do. Um, so yeah, come on into Jackson. I can we can certainly show you the options that we have, and uh, you know, and as you said, people used to be kind of scared to go out there, but I'm telling you what, winter's some of the best times to get out to the mountains. Um, some of the most beautiful and quiet times you'll have up there. So. We didn't get to
1: footwear and socks, but I want to cover that. But we're out of time today, Chris. Let's make that for the next time. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you, Terry, for having us. It's a a
1: treat as always, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right, thanks. That's Chris Castillo from the Lafayette Jacks Outdoor Gear. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we're going to talk... Open water fishing, yes. Even though it's winter, open water. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Woo! You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You know, Karen just told me I need to play more Jim Croce music. So now you're, you're hitting all the buttons today, Ty. You're doing it all good. Let's go to the phones. Joining us. One of our favorite contributors, longtime contributor, a fill-in host on the show, uh, Mr. Chad LaChance. Good morning, Chad. Hey Terry. Good morning. It's a beautiful day out today. Nice time to be outside. It is. Well, you know, I was just thinking during this break, you're not the most avid ice fisherman in the world. Getting you on the ice can take some doing. But if there's a puddle big enough to cast to, no matter what time of the year is it, you're probably out fishing it
5: yes sir and it's no secret uh in my opinion ice is for keeping your catch cold in your cocktails but uh not my thing and it's just a, you know i get it it's very effective a lot of people love it in fact some of the most passionate anglers i know are hardcore ice guys just not my gig but the beauty is we have options uh for open water i'm not talking about ice you know ice out type open water i'm talking about holes in the water as you're referencing your holes in either the ice or in the river that are exposed to enough sun that they stay open year round. And that's where I find my solace and keep myself sane. And, uh, and you have options. And a lot of that can be where there's an inlet running. First example, um, the inlet here at Horsetooth is running right now. It's keeping a small section of water open. There will be some fish in there. Now, understand that inlet turns on and off depending on time. So you need to call ahead. But there is an option to fish the open water around the inlet, and you can do a lot of stuff there. You might even catch a bunch of species. Same thing with really any of the reservoirs up and down the front range where there's any sort of a little inlet will keep enough running water, and it will draw fish from under the ice to that area. So it's a good spot to fish, even if it wasn't the only spot you could fish, if that makes any sense. So that's the first one I think about. And I want to take a half step backwards and say I'm always going to be targeting the trout more than the bass or the walleyes or anything else through that hole in the ice because they're the ones that are going to be most active in the coldest water, and I'm a big fan of fishing for what's biting. So we're this whole rest of the segment will be referencing trout specifically, even though you might catch a few others. Uh, a more common scenario for people, particularly up and down the front range, is open water in one of the rivers right in town. And that could be the Poudre River here in Fort Collins. It could be the Platte River through downtown Denver, which I know is open in a lot of areas. It could be the Arkansas River down in, in Pueblo. Uh, but all of that water is open, and the, everyone thinks fly fishing, fly fishing, fly fishing, and I get it. That's a that's a great way to catch them in the winter, but if you're not a fly fisherman, it doesn't mean you can't go catch them with your spinning rod. And I also want to point out that Troy Coburn, who you know very well, is one of the best anglers in the state of Colorado, uh, and I did a TV show where we did nothing but swing streamers in February in the Platte River, and we smashed them. So you're not even really pigeonholed into the the old nymph and bobber rig that, that everyone thinks about for wintertime fishing. I get that's very effective, but it's certainly not your only choice. And the key there, in my opinion, for winter, in these open sections of river, anywhere they are, it seems like bottom contact or being very near the bottom with your presentation all the time will catch you considerably more fish than if you're lifting a bait off the bottom or swimming it up and over the top of the fish. And so for me, it's little tiny jigs on little tiny line and little tiny rods and literally keeping them as tight to the bottom as I can either tickle jigging them as they drift where they just tickle the bottom or if I'm in an area where I can straight drag them like sandy areas then I'm going to do just that and some of my best days have been dragging a little tiny like an inch and a half long jig on a 16 ounce jig head and dragging it on the sand and you can watch trout just swim right over and pick it up like they've never seen anything in their life and it's extremely effective
1: uh, I, I gotta, I couldn't agree with you more And I, you and I both fly fish and conventional fish but a lot of times, the convention, the fly fishing, because there are sections that have ice, you're fishing holes in the river or holes in the lake, can be difficult to, to fish with a fly rod. And then you probably would do so much better with conventional, especially if, if you, um, especially if you're not the most advanced fly caster in the world. It's so much easier to fish some of those small spots. And that open water flowing through town Just always be sure, of course, that if you're fishing an area that has regulations, it could be flies and lures only. You can still conventional fish it. You just have to change your presentation, right?
5: Yeah, absolutely, and that was one of the points I was going to get to. you got to keep in mind some of the, particularly the tailwater areas, can be flies and lures only, and that's fine. There's a lot of options in the crappie buster lineup or uh, or several others for like a one-inch tube jig. Excellent call. A little unscented tube jig, fantastic call. Um, The late Charlie Myers and I did that one time, fishing little inch and a quarter long tube jigs on 16-ounce jig heads and nuked them with it. Uh, Really good call. Another option is a little tiny marabou jig, um, but a little tiny one. We're not talking about like a big old 8-ounce jig. I'm talking about like a 16-ounce, so sparse little marabou jig, fantastic. And you, of course, throw that wherever you want in uh, terms of flies and lures only, and it's a really good call. The d The big thing you mentioned about the fly fishing, I don't care how good of a fly fisherman you are, if you can't get out to the hole in the river because of a shelf or something, it's going to be difficult to get a clean drift. With a spinning rod, I can do that. I can maybe throw over that stuff, and I can have a little bit more control of what's going on. I'm not quite so dependent on a drift, and that can be key. The the other thing I see, like in the Poudre River, for instance, is there's sections of the river, even though it is not a tailwater, if you drive up the canyon, if you, anybody looking at Google Earth can tell where there's going to be open water based on the sun and the mountains, right? And so there's big sections of the pooter even up in the canyon that are open and fishable right now, even though we've had a very cold, yucky winter, uh, that are open water. And you can fish, and the trout love those that sunny stuff. And, and I'm looking for runs. I don't necessarily want the deep plunge pools because – those often will have ice on them. I don't want riffles because the water's too cold and fish will burn a bunch of energy to sit there and they don't have the metabolism or the food sources in the winter for that. So I like the runs where they can get maybe from one to three feet deep, get good even current flow and uh, and that's what I like to work with. And then I, like I said, it really comes down for me more than anything else, not what I'm throwing but how tight I keep it to the bottom. And that was the same even when Coburn and I filmed the streamer thing in the Platte River uh, in the middle of wintertime. Those streamers were on fluorocarbon uh, leaders so that they will stay down. And somebody's going to say, because fluorocarbon stinks, of course, even in cold water. Somebody's going to say, well, you could just use a weighted streamer, and you could, but you'll snag it a lot more because it's point loaded. It's got all the weight in one spot. So if you use a little bit lighter weight streamer, keep it sparse, and then keep a uh, fluorocarbon leader, then that thing will stay down plenty tight to the bottom without necessarily snagging a whole bunch. And it's a lot simpler to rig and fish. Then, say, a two- or three-fly stack and then, a, you know, a piece of weight and a strike indicator, eight knots in there the whole nine yards, it might be 20 degrees out. Maybe I don't want to tie knots and 6X tip So it's a much cleaner presentation to just have a small stream on the end of your fly back. Right. And, and, again, I want to emphasize it needs to be small and, and uh, to say some degree hydrodynamic because I need it to stay down. But I don't want it to be too heavy so that I snag it because I can't work it really fast in the winter. So it needs to stay as tight as it can to the bottom and continuously moving, and you will catch them. And that's the same thing with the jig. And almost all I throw in the winter on a, fl- or on a spinning rod is some sort of a small jig. That's very rare. I'll throw anything else, maybe a big warming front. I might throw a little a little tiny hard plug like a number three or a number five a uh, hit stick, but, and that's got a diving bill. So it'll dive itself to the bottom and stay fairly tight, but realistically, to keep it simple, get some jigs.
1: Uh, you're absolutely right. It's just a great, pro- I wrote an article, gosh, it's over 30 years ago, maybe more for fishing facts magazine, you know, about, <laughs> <laughs> I know about using marabu, which you mentioned marabu jigs versus fly fishing in a lot of these rivers and how effective that marabou jig was and how easily you could control it. And then the other nice thing about this chat, and we're going to run out of time, is that right now there are options. Like you mentioned tailwaters, there's open streams through town. There's like Lake Estes where the water comes out of the treatment plant into the lake. There's open water there. But as we progress over the next couple months, the opportunities are going to grow. So it's a great time to get out and do it. And the trout fishing, can it can be some of the best trout fishing of the year.
5: Well, in my opinion, it probably is the best trout fishing here, particularly in the around the reservoir inlets and, and someplace like uh, like you're taking that up at St. Mary's, um, you know, because a big fish will nose into that inlet. They're not getting any real fishing pressure. They've got the running water. And keep in mind, rainbows are all on their pre-spawn, rainbows and cutbows. So even if you're talking about all the fish that were stocked last year in fall, They might only have been stocked as as 8 to 10 inches, but they probably grew 6 inches or close to 6 inches over the 8 months they've been in the lake, and therefore they're significantly bigger now. And there's a whole bunch of them, and they're not still very bright because i haven't been in the lake for a whole summer of fishing yet so it can be some of the easiest fishing as well and i heard your last segment too you do need to layer up for real and the last thing i'm going to say is if you can stay out of the water stay out of the water it's so much warmer if you stay in, and that's the other reason i like the spinning rod is same reason during runoff when the river's high and muddy i don't want to wait around in it it's dangerous. And I, I just not a fan. And so better if I could stay off on stable ground and cast in the water, especially when it's cold and hypothermia is a real thing.
1: All right, my friend, we're out of time, but great, great segment. We'll be talking to you again really soon. All right, thanks very much. You guys have a great day. All right, Chad Lechance, fishful thinker. We'll take a quick time out. We'll wrap up this show and maybe even visit with Dan Jacobs about the Super Bowl on Terry Wixom Outdoors on one zero four three The Fan. <laughs> You're just a tear up in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. You're just a, a tear drop in my eye. Dan Jacobs' second favorite. I Winston saw from the song. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let me get a little housekeeping things done here and then we'll talk to Mr. Jacobs. Um, Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We podcast a lot of what we do on the show. We tell you what's coming up on the show. We put in-field reports, fishing reports from CPW. A lot of information goes on that Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, available. A lot of that was filmed right here in your backyard. And, of course, follow our music. You heard Teardrop Mize, Wickstrom and Just Google or search Wickstrom and Dobreth either online or in your favorite streaming service and give our music a listen. We'd appreciate it. Now, Mr.
0: Jacobs, are you there? Yes, I am a loyal follower of the Facebook page as well. Terry. Okay. Now let me tell you, uh, I have two
3: things.
1: I don't know if we have time to get to both of them. The first one, the first one is the conventional wisdom. I always used to be, you bet the quarterback and the coach in the big game. And yet, Philly is favored in this game, but I can't see where they have an edge in either one of those categories.
0: No, I would agree with you on that. Um, it, it's a little bit of an anomaly when you have kind of the, uh, the you know, not not the champs, but, you know, the, the, one of the teams that's been kind of the king of the hill of the NFL for the last three or four years, and the Chiefs going in as an underdog, especially when yesterday I believe it was revealed that, Patrick Mahomes doesn't even have an injury designation for this game, so he's going to be pretty much good to go. I, I, I have a hard time going against that. I do. Um, and, and I have normally would not root for Kansas
1: City, but there's something about Philly that I just have to hope Kansas City wins. But more than anything, I'm hoping for a good game. Now, I have one observation. It doesn't necessarily apply to this game, but my eyeballs, my eyesight over this football season – Um, I don't know if the stats would bear this out. But, you know, it's been a pass-happy league um, because the rules really favor the receivers so much now and you can't hit the quarterback and so the passing. But I'm really seeing a return to the running game across the board. Um, Are you starting to feel that way? Like, you know, defenses adjust and maybe now, because they've adjusted to this wide-open passing game, the coaches are seeing the running game more effective?
0: You know, I don't know if I 100% agree with that. Uh, maybe a little bit more like Philly, Philly, for example. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's really depending on the team and depending on the quarterbacks that they have. It's obviously been very good for Philly. But overall, I think it's, it's like the Broncos coaches the last several years or, or play callers, I should say, offensive coordinators the last several years. They say they're going to run, but the minute they get down, they completely abandon that running game, which I know drives Mark Schlereth nuts, right? Um, so maybe there might be swinging back a little bit. I know that's what they talked about this week with Russell Wilson, for example, Terry, is that you need to commit to that game so you can put him in better positions. So I think we'll see a lot more of it here. Yeah, I think.
1: Uh, You know, the one thing, you just made a mistake, though. you referred to some of the Broncos coaches as offensive coordinators. Right, exactly. (laughs) Offensive. (laughs) They're offensive
0: coordinators. I'm going to wrap this up so you can talk sports, okay? All right, sounds good. Don't forget to go download Wickstrom and Dobrath on Spotify and all those places.
1: All right, thank you, Dan.
0: All right. I want to say thanks to Ty for running the board for us.
1: Great job, Ty. Thanks to Karen for keeping this show on the rails. Uh, and we'll, and I hold thanks to all of you for listening. Join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports with Dan Jacobs on 1043, The Fan.